In many of Jesus' parables, there are strange elements. And the parable that we have tonight is no, uh, no different. In fact, I think at first glance, this seems to have more strange elements than most, but I think a lot of that is cultural. I mean, just look at the first line. The kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Who are these virgins? Why do they have lamps? These virgins are essentially bridesmaids. You see, the way a, a wedding worked in first century Judaism was pretty different than how we did it today. First, the couple would be betrothed, and they were man and wife. They, they were married, but they wouldn't live together right away. The woman would usually stay with her family for some time, maybe a few months, maybe as long as a year. And the man would then go and prepare a home. And when the appointed time came, whenever that was, the bridegroom, the groom, would ceremoniously process to his wife's family's house where she was staying, and he would be flanked. This took place at night, so he would be flanked by these bridesmaids, essentially, carrying an oil lamp or some kind of torch. And then he would escort his, his wife and her family into this new home where there would be the wedding feast, and that would conclude the wedding ceremony. Right? But even still, even once we understand how they did weddings in first century Judaism, there's still weird elements. Why is the bridegroom so late that half of them, or that they all fall asleep? All the, these virgins fall asleep. And then, you know, you have the five foolish who don't bring enough oil. You have the five who do. Why don't they share their oil? I mean, it's not like they were running a marathon. It, it, wouldn't have been that long of a procession to this house. And lastly, when those five foolish virgins go and somehow obtain oil in the middle of the night, which is itself quite a feat, the groom won't let them into the wedding feast. I mean, can you imagine that today? Like a, a, a groom not letting bridesmaids into the reception because they were late to the reception? I mean, that wouldn't go over well. So what's going on here? We need to understand the symbolism. And really, first and foremost, what we need to understand is the symbolism of the wedding feast. That stands for heaven. And you don't have to be some great biblical scholar to see it. That is spelled out throughout the New Testament and throughout the Old Testament, frankly, as well. The wedding feast stands for heaven. Really, the punchline of this parable comes at the end. Stay awake, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Right? You know, neither the day nor the hour. Look, the truth is, God only knows how long each of us have on this earth. Please God, we all live good and long lives, but, but none of us know the day nor the hour that uh, our life will be over, or none of us certainly know the day or the hour when our Lord will return, whichever comes first. And our time on earth, right, is the time to accept Christ's mercy, to strive to love God and neighbor, to, to um, strive to become the saint that God created us to be. But when our life comes to an end, uh, we stand before Christ, and He is our judge in that moment. Our life will be reviewed, and we will be asked to give an account for all that we've done, all that we've said, all that we've failed to do, and then we'll receive our reward. And there are three possibilities after that particular judgment. Heaven, which would be great. 
or purgatory, time of purification, after which comes heaven. And then as, you know, I, I wouldn't be doing my job. I'd, I'd be doing everyone a great disservice if I didn't point out sacred scripture is pretty clear. Eternal separation with God in hell, that's possible. And we need uh, just to be aware of that. We don't need to be paralyzed with fear about that, but that's, that's part of the reality. So what must we do? Well, we need to repent of our sins and receive his mercy. We do that in confession because, you know, we're sinners in need of God's mercy. We need to do it frequently. We also need to frequent the sacraments, especially the Eucharist. In prayer, we need to seek to love God and neighbor, to do God's will in our life. But, but here's, here's what I think often gets missed about this parable. The five foolish virgins, virgins and the five wise virgins, they both stand for, for us, for Christians, right? With this difference that the, the five wise virgin, virgins are the ones who persevere and endure in the faith. Persevere and endure in the love of God and neighbor. Persevere and endure in repenting of their sins. Where the foolish ones, they start out strong, but at some point, slowly maybe, they begin to grow lukewarm. Their faith begins to shrivel. Their love runs cold for God and for neighbor, slowly but surely, like an oil lamp running out of oil. Right? They, the, the foolish virgins are those who do not persevere. They're not prepared for the long endurance that is the Christian life. Really, there's a, a little talked about virtue that I think explains this parable really well. And it's called longanimity. And it's a real word, I promise. Um, not one that we use commonly. It's often called long suffering. You can think of it as, as playing the long game. Uh, it's being willing to endure trials in the presence for some long-distant good. So the classic example a lot of writers will use will be a gardener who plants a fruit tree, knowing he will never eat the fruit of that tree. It will not mature in his lifetime. But his children will benefit from it. His grandchildren will eat of that fruit. His great-grandchildren. And so he's willing to do that work, to persevere in doing that work, because he knows after he's gone, his children, grandchildren will benefit from it. Well, we need to have this attitude toward the ultimate good in life, which is heaven, which is salvation. And we need to persevere in repenting of sin, in prayer, in the sacraments, in love of God and neighbor for this long distant good. And we need to endure the trials of this life patiently, right? Why? Because all things work for the good for those who love God and He can bring good out of evil that can bring us closer to heaven. And there are many examples throughout salvation history, throughout sacred scripture of saints who exhibit this virtue of longanimity. Think of Abraham. Abraham is an old man and he's asked to go from his homeland to a strange land that God's going to give him. And he says, even though you and your wife are beyond childbearing years and you're childless, I'm going to make you the father of some great nation. Now, he does obviously live long enough to see Isaac be born and grow, but that's it. When he dies, the great nation is, you know, it's him, Sarah, and Isaac. Yet, he still had faith and trusted and persevered. 
Think of Moses, right? Moses is the leader when God delivers Israel from slavery in Egypt. Tells them that there's this promised land, but before they can enter, they need to wander in the desert for 40 years to be, um, in, in part, to be purified. Moses never enters the promised land. He sees it from afar. He puts up with, puts up with, with a lot of stuff in the desert from Israel. But he trusts, believes, keeps going forward. That's true with many of the saints. Really, when we look at all the Old Testament saints, the fulfillment of the promises that God made to them come to completion in Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus in the Gospel of John says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Rejoiced from the afterlife to see Jesus be born. Because this was the fulfillment of promises made to Abraham. Now we live after Christ. That's pretty obvious. The kingdom of heaven is already here, but not yet fully so. So we too need longanimity, long-suffering. We need to be willing to persevere in the practice of the faith, in the love of God and neighbor. We need to be willing to persevere through the adversities of this life because God is faithful and trustworthy. And even though the world may seem to be going to hell in a handbasket, even though we may be dealing with a very serious personal tragedy or, or very difficult situation, God hasn't abandoned you. His providence is at work. And he will bring to completion the good work he's begun in you if you're willing to persevere. If you're willing to not give up on him. That's what the saints of old did. That's what we must do if we want to reach heaven and become the saints he created us to be.